This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. Welcome to Milan. Milano. As is an independent England football supporters podcast. My name is Russell Osborne. I have arrived here safe and sound. Departed Stansted at whatever time it was this morning. It's now quarter past one local time. I did a pod a while back with a, uh, an airport, like the, the airport police, who explained the whole procedure when I'm looking out on match days. There were police about this morning, but not one stopped me to ask my details, where I was going, where I was heading. Pasty white guy heading to Milan on match day. I was sure I'd get asked, but no, no. Perhaps I don't look too troublesome. Now, I'm pretty sure I'm not on a watch list either, but, but come to think of it, I don't think I was stopped when I went out to Munich earlier in the year. Maybe next time. But it was a uh, yeah, fairly decent flight over the Alps. Lovely views over the Alps. Nature at its best. I'm assuming they were the Alps. Pyre- not are the Pyrenees? No, the Pyrenees are French, aren't they? Must be the Alps. They're lovely. Swiss, Swiss, Swiss Alps, that's right. Italian Alps. Anyway, I'm here in Milan. Sun's out. Shorts, T-shirt weather. I am going to head to the uh, England Supporters Ticket Collection Hotel. And off for a wander... Pizza, coffee, beer, copy of Coriello della Sport, just like James Richardson used to do on Football Italia. So I found myself in, I don't know how to pronounce this, it's Duomo, I think. It's where the, the lovely, massive cathedral is. It's like a massive, white, marble exterior cathedral. I haven't got the time to go inside it, unfortunately, but it looks like you can go inside and get some cracking views across the city but i've come around the back and there is a football shirt shop and it's called ft football team the sport and i'm going in so i just come out and i uh the the woman in there she said she'd prefer it if i didn't talk and as i was going around there but uh, if you get the chance to go around there there are some fantastic football shirts they're all, I've got some new ones, like, yeah, your bog-standard Juventus, AC Milan, obviously the Italian national team. You go upstairs, and there are, there are some older English shirts. There's an Aston Villa shirt. You remember the, the shirt that Aston Villa played in? David Platt, Mitre copiers on the front, Umbro Jobby, 250 euros. It's a genuine one, and you think, that's, that's crazy. And then you carry on walking through the back, and you walk to this little... Almost like a, it's almost like a museum, but it's purchasable stuff. There's a Maldini signed shirt in there, Paolo Maldini, AC Milan shirt, away one, white one, <laughs> eight hundred euros. It's match prepared. It's not even match worn. Eight hundred euros. There's loads of other shirts in there. There's um, shirts signed by Aubameyang, Totti, uh, Lampard. There's loads of football shirts in there. It's, if you get a chance to come here, it's just round the back of this church, cathedral in Duomo, uh, and it's called The Sport FT Football Team. It's, uh, even if you keep your hands in your pockets, it's well worth going to. Um, but time's cracking on now, and it's time to head towards the San Siro. Here we go. Walking up out of the, uh, out of the underground. Very soon, there will be a stadium. And there it is, right in front of my eyes, the San Siro. Go through these little turnstiles here. No, mate, I don't need one of those. Thank you very much. I'm all right. Hey, no, I don't want one. Trying to flog me something there. 
wristband. <laughs> anyway, there it is. San Siro with its. You all right? No, not yet. Barriers. There's this Wembley staff around just uh, helping England fans as they come out of the um, out of the underground and it really is such an iconic stadium it's got these twirly pillars all around it and these red girders like on the top that sort of stick out of each corner it's a fascinating stadium for so many reasons it's not too busy yet it is what is it it's 20 to 7 kickoff isn't for another two hours but i wanted to get here early to to basically take it in and plus when i went to germany recently it was a bit of a uh, a fast getting in i didn't want that hassle again i i really want to just take this one in because you know there's the talk of this stadium not being here in however many years time um so yeah this is this is the san siro in milan better get some photos hadn't i so i said about those circular rampways on the outside they're almost like what manchester city have got outside the etihad we are walking up them now and just from the outside i counted 12 rings that they go up but uh yeah, it's, it's quite a mission to get in here. But we went through the checks, and they were right. Where they said that they were going to check your name against your ticket, they did that. And they thoroughly checked you, to the point where the fella put his finger down my socks. Quite what I'm going to stow down there, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, but I'm in. No problems. And we have made it to the top. I swear it got darker from the time that we left the bottom to the time we get to the top. Here we are. This says our glass perspex in front of us. We've made it in. What a sight. Let's go up here. Oh my word. This is, this is bucket list stuff. Standing high up behind the goal. We're in the end where there's blue seats, so it's probably the inter end, I'm guessing. And yeah, you're looking down, it's it is high, but you can still see everything. And there is I oh, it just brings back all these memories as a kid. Italia 90, which is what's what a lot of England supporters will remember it for that first game Argentina against Cameroon in what was an ugly match, a real dirty match and one that Cameroon ended up winning beating the then holders Argentina didn't they and I think actually it was one of these ends, what supporters it was I don't know whether it was Inter or AC, they dropped a scooter off of one of these ends like a Vespa or something like that. Genuinely. It's got all the curves, all the circular windows, this roof all around. The screen on one side where like this this bit where I'm standing at the moment was where it was extended for Italia 90. It's just fabulous to be here. And then down below you look down, as you see on the telly where all the fans like line up at the front. Loving this. Well, I hope we get a result here. Really hope we get a result. Anyway, let's go flag watching. Colin, Oswestry Wolves. CJ's here, no matter how far. Bristol Rovers. Always here. Another Bristol Rovers. Swindon Town. Mouldy Tours. Love that. Swindon Town. Sam, Tyler, Junior. Is this one Aston Villa 1874 with the Champions League, the old Champions League trophy on it? South End United, the Northern Shrimpers, Oxford United. As the goalkeepers run out, 
So Ramsdale, Pope. Leicester City, Danny on tour. Walsall FC, Gloucester City. We've got a North Macedonia flag. Love that. For those of you that aren't aware, North Macedonia, of course, famously knocked Italy out of the World Cup. Keeley Blues, Southend United. There's a Love England, Love Racism flag as well. Love that. This is a big one. Port Vale. Where you go, we'll follow. Club and Country, Morecambe FC, Shrimps on tour. And then you can see through the stadium across to the city where the lights are of the city are glowing. And we are minutes before kickoff, and the stadium is far from full. Empty patches all around. It's, it's sporadic. In hindsight, as much as I love to be here, it's fantastic. It does make me wonder whether they should have played this game in Turin, maybe. I don't know. Because it's not full by any stretch of the imagination. It's a shame, really. It's a shame. Nations League flag has come out to the centre of the stadium. Both national flags have been laid down. We're just waiting for the teams to come out the tunnel. There's the uh, the no war peace sign, which is quite familiar now across international football. And of course, we come now will be the first time that England fans come together to sing God Save the King. Italian fans coming towards the front of the uh, of the stands. They know it. Take it into the corner flag, won't they? That's full time. Italy one, England Pretty much the sound of relegation. Awful, awful game to be honest. Two teams that aren't going to win the World Cup, frankly. A couple of the England players applaud. Harry Kane applauds. Frankly, they haven't done enough. What a way for this new shirt to make an introduction. England fans booing quite rightly so Gareth Southgate has just gone to applaud the England fans and was basically booed at I think that says it all So it's Monday afternoon, I'm just about to leave for Wembley for tonight's game against Germany. Do you know what, I really don't know what to expect in terms of atmosphere. Sure, it's it's a great fixture, we know that. Obviously, we've just been relegated. Germany, well, they're assured of third place. It is a textbook dead rubber. 
For those that didn't go on Friday to Italy, this is, I guess, their chance to express their disappointment at the team. At Gareth, at relegation. But this is the last game before the World Cup to give them a send-off. Do they deserve one? I can imagine. Unless we win by a convincing margin and play exceptionally well, the vast majority are going to leave before full-time and many more right on the whistle, I reckon. And let's not forget, this is also Germany's last game too. They're also going to want to go into the World Cup on a positive note. But I'm reading that Ivan Tony, he's in the matchday squad after being left out for Italy. So he may have just the one cap if selected. And highly likely, less than 90 minutes under his belt. Grealish is suspended. Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't in the matchday squad. Tomorai isn't in the matchday squad. Bowen isn't in the matchday squad. Ward-Prowse not in the matchday squad either. What's going on? What a waste of their selection. I I genuinely don't understand it. I genuinely feel frustrated for them. I, I can't fathom what's going on. Germany, well, they've also got players out too. Uh, I think Rudiger is suspended. Lucas and Checker is injured. And then they had a, a bit of a COVID issue, didn't they? Um, goalkeeper Manuel Neuer is out. Goretzka as well. And Julian Brandt have all been sort of affected by COVID in one way, shape or form. Although I guess with Neuer being out, they've got Ter Stegen, Barcelona keeper, to come in. Uh, I'm sure you've also heard the fact that only England and San Marino are the only teams to have scored one goal, one penalty goal, that really should be, uh, in the Nations League this time around. It's not often we are compared to those guys, is it? Uh, And another stat I heard, uh, it was on BBC Five Live, John Murray and Ian Dennis, both excellent summarisers, commentators, love them both. In 17 Nations League matches that England have played, we have only won five of them. Spain away, Croatia at home, Iceland home and away, and Belgium at home. We've drawn five and lost seven of the others. And who's been in charge for all of those? Gareth Southgate. It's all a far cry from those heady highs of the World Cup and last year's Euros. Anyway. I better crack on. Positive thoughts, positive thoughts. I'll catch up with you later. So, I've made it into Wembley after quite an unsavoury and unfortunate incident that I witnessed at the Green Man. Green Man is a family pub just up the road from the stadium. It's a famous pub. It's regularly used by supporters on England days. It's a family pub. Or on FA Cup final days, it's used by one of the team's team's supporters. So I was up there today, England fans having just just general good atmosphere. There's plenty of beers being drunk, it's a a good atmosphere. There's children there, there's, there's women there. People just minding their own business, there's flags up. I don't if you've never been to the Green Man, there is an outside area which is covered and underneath there were, were England fans, there were flags hung up and I was standing to, just to one side of it. And at one point the the tone of those people underneath the underneath the shelter, as it were, was just raised enough to sort of perk your ears up and, and you look over there and say, oh what's going on there? Is a little incident or something, and then all of a sudden, a lot of people started moving away from underneath the the sheltered area, and it got suddenly very quick. And there's picnic tables in the way. People began to fall. Then all of a sudden, the noise and sound of people underneath there got louder. And then, unfortunately, I witnessed a vast amount of dark clothed, basically German hooligans, black hoods, black masks. There were a couple wearing Union Jack, Union flag hats. And all of a sudden, it was chaos. There was a lot of noise. There was a lot of shouting. And basically, 
a group of between 50 to 100 German hooligans smashed and grabbed at the Green Man. People were hurt. People were hurt to the point where there was blood. People were smacked on the back of the head. People were smacked around the front of the face. I've never witnessed things like this before. To the point where, well, I mean, I moved out of the way fairly quickly. I was fortunate. I was standing in a position where I could move quickly. England fans were ambushed in a family pub on a game that, frankly, is a dead rubber. There's nothing on this game. We're down. Germany have got nothing to play for. I'm in the ground now with, what, half an hour to go before. But the police turned up too late, frankly. It's easy to point the finger at the police and say they were too late. But it's a game, England-Germany is, is high profile. There should have been maybe a police presence there. A lot of these hooligans had gone or had scarpered down an alleyway before the police had arrived. It's, it's an unsavoury event and I'm adrenaline running to have witnessed it and like you know with your hands shake I'm not a violent person I'm not interested in getting involved in that but to witness it wasn't nice people were hurt people were on the floor and it's questions need to be asked how these people managed to get up into through Wembley through the high street up to the Green Man pub, a family pub, and attack England fans. So yeah, that, that was my experience that happened at about half past five, quarter to six time at the Green Man pub earlier. Please remain standing for the national anthem of England. God save the King. German Football Association now observe a period of silence. This tribute will start and end on the referee's whistle. Well, that was an interesting evening. To go two goals down with very little fight, I was beginning to feel the worst. A second half double substitution of Saka for Sterling. Well, I thought I had a good game, to be fair to him. Uh, a mount for Foden, though, changed the game. 2-0 down, 3-2 up in about 12 minutes. The things you love to see. Uh, thanks to goals from Luke Shaw, Mason Mount and the Harry Kane penalty. But to be honest, it was just really papering over the cracks. Uh, Jude Bellingham had a really great game, but mistakes throughout at the back just let Germany back in. But given the recent performances and results, I certainly wasn't anticipating a 3-3 draw. Uh, I'll get back to you soon when I'm hoping to chat with Dom Smith from England Football. Org. And here he is, Dom Smith from englandfootball.org. Hello, Dom. Hi there. You well? Yeah, very well. Yourself? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. All good. Got this last international window out of the way. <laughs> as it were, before the World Cup. It's, uh, it's it's high on the horizon now. It's getting ever closer. It is, yeah. Southgate said in his press conference yesterday that, that England have been prioritising performances over results in this international break. And I think that's actually quite courageous, really. If you go four without a win and you're a team as big as England uh, over the June internationals as they did, perhaps the um, tendency would be to go and chase a win, kind of come what may. And of course, they would have wanted a win, of course, I'm yeah. not saying that. But 
but it's it's sensible that they went for the performance because that's what's sustainable. You know, if, if you win a game in, in jammy fashion, that's not repeatable. That's just a single one-off event. But if you have a team that that produces good good performances, that is repeatable and that can be used again. I'm not saying England did do that, but I think I'm just saying it's, a, you know, I'm not saying they did perform well. I'm just saying... That was what their objective was. Yeah, and, and, and rightly so. Yeah. Well, before Italy... Um, and as this international window was was coming up, what were your expectations and thoughts going into it? Obviously, on the back of those four June games, well, it's it's difficult to predict any game because you're always biased by what kind what came recently before and what came recently for England was some very depressing results. But I predicted that both the games would be tight. I guess in the end, that that's true. Um, I did expect that England might get a sneaky one nil over Italy, and I thought that they might draw or lose the Germany game. Right. Um, yeah, you, you know, Southgate will argue that the performances are, are only a certain—sorry, uh, that the results are only a certain aspect of it. They were tight games, but it, I think England were much better in the in both of the Germany games in this campaign, if we look at it as a whole, than, mm. than any of the other four games. I think. At Molyneux, they were against Italy. They were very average in both games against Hungary. And I'm not just saying this because they lost. I think in both games against Hungary, they were they were really, really poor. Terrible, in fact. Um, the, the Italy game uh, the other night was disappointing, really, because, you know, England seemed up for it. He'd, he'd put out quite a strong team, but they just didn't seem cohesive on the pitch. They didn't. It was like these were players who hadn't played with each other before. I'm not saying it was as bad as the Iceland game or anything like that, but but England weren't penetrating and they weren't creating chances. I mean, I challenge you to think of a number, you know, many chances that England had against Italy in that first half or in the, the first half of the second half, and there, there really weren't many. It was slim pickings in that game, and I think he was pleased, Southgate and England, the team will be pleased that they were able to create so many chances against Germany, and yet for many periods they didn't even have the ball. Uh, you know, you're watching the first uh, 15 minutes at Wembley and they were barely touching the ball. Um, but in the end, that, that didn't end up mattering. In fact, Joshua Kimmich from, from the midfield of Germany actually said that that he thinks it's inexplicable. He said that after the game, inexplicable that England didn't try to play and they just tried to play on the counter-attack. And if he were if he were an England fan, I'd understand why he was saying why he would be saying that, because going into a tournament, we know how much of international football hinges on possession. Yeah. You know, games against Croatia and, and the, the Euros final show how important, how much more important possession is in international football than club football. Um, but that said, you know, it's not for him to, to decide what, what England should and shouldn't be um, aiming for. Yeah. The, the fact is England scored three goals on the break. I include the penalty because they won it on a counter-attack. And, um, and Germany didn't win, did they? Well, Italy. Uh, I mean, as you, you mentioned, like cohesion. There was there was very little of it. It was it was a very strange um, performance in the fact that whilst we had a certain amount of possession, we just couldn't do anything with it. There was no idea, no sort of thought as to to what to do once we got into the final third. Um, I mean, the, the team he picked um, was, uh, I think it was a 3-5-2. We had, um, Pope was in goal, obviously bought in for uh, for the injured Pickford. There was Walker, James, Rice, Dyer, Maguire, Saka, who was um, perhaps played out of position, um, Bellingham, Kane, Sterling and Foden. Obviously, it didn't go our way. The goal from uh, Raspadori, uh, great goal. I thought, to be honest, and I th- I thought actually Dyer coming in after a uh, an absence of what eighteen months for England. I thought he whilst whilst England didn't do particularly well. I thought Dyer had a uh, had a decent couple of games in in fairness to him. I thought, yeah, Dyer slipped back into the England team seamlessly, and, mm. and I think he'll get into that squad now uh, and and quite comfortably so. I think you know, he's he, almost knocking on the door for a starting position. Well, I would have him starting, but the problem is that I would I would be moving him, and right. I'd be moving, I would continue with a back three actually, um, 
because I do think England would concede a stupid number of goals if they played a back four. doesn't mean that there aren't, aren't, aren't any good players. That There are very good players in this England team. And I don't agree with Southgate on every decision he makes or, or even most decisions he makes. But I do think they've got the formation right. I do think that 3-4-3 is the way to go. And, and, and Dyer, to be fair, he, you know, he plays in the middle of a three for Tottenham. Yep. But I, I, would, I look at him and I look at Stones and I see England's two best centre-backs at the moment, at least. And the problem is they're both very much centre of a three. John Stones, I think, has been more error-prone in the past and I think would adapt if he was shifted out to the left to accommodate Dyer worse than if Dyer was shifted out to the left to, um, to accommodate Stones. So, so I would play a back three, right to left, Walker, Stones and Dyer. Right. Because Dyer is an exceptional long passer and although he's slightly better long passing from right to left, I know that he could still do it from, from left to right. And I think I, I could imagine him filling into that Maguire place um, more seamlessly than uh, Stones would if he removed there. So we are looking at removing Harry Maguire then based on, well, I guess, yeah. based on that that performance against Germany or well, just his general performances for, for Manchester United and, and the sort of second half errors that, that came into his game. The first thing that the manager said when he came into the press conference yesterday was <clears throat> that he knows that the, the, the much of the of the talk will be about Harry Maguire, but he thought that that there, that there were other players that made individual errors and that, 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 that there yeah. were large things to talk about. But I didn't think that enough people asked him about Harry Maguire actually, and I, I like Harry Maguire, and I would still take him to the World Cup even if he's not playing for Manchester United. Yes, but yeah. I, but I, I think it's a stretch to now decide that I'd play him. Just mm. you know, he's England's all-time leading goal-scoring defender, more goals than Bobby Moore and John Terry from defence. But that's not a reason to play him, and neither is what you know the fact that he was in the Euros team of the tournament. A, a reason to play him is that he's the right is, is that he's better than the alternatives, and I don't think he is better than Dyer at this point in time. But I do think he's better than the other options. So I would take him, but I wouldn't start him. I felt that not enough people were asking him about Maguire. You know, it's, it's very easy for, for journalists to kind of have the obvious story, which is Harry Maguire. And then once the manager gets in the room, they feel that sense of needing to be polite and they don't quite press them on them. So, so I'm, I made sure to ask him about Harry Maguire and I, and I talked about the back three and I said, you know, to the manager that he's chosen a back three deliberately to mitigate the risk, you know, that the other teams pose. It's sort of a defensive, you know, risk aversity thing. Mm. But given that, given that and given the, that he played that and the number of defensive mistakes that, that Maguire and the team made, is that not worrying for him ahead of the World Cup, that they're still making that many mistakes in the formation that's supposed to stop those mistakes? And he pretty bluntly said, well, I don't think that the formation was to blame for the goals. And, and he might think that, and I, and I understand where he's coming from. But he also then basically admitted that he will be con- continuing with that back three, which I think is informative. You know, j- journalists in the Southgate era have, have spent their whole time, and fans, everyone has, you know, um, jumping between, oh, you know, is he going to play a back three? Is he going to go back yeah. to a back four? The answer he gave me yesterday is it basically said that he will be playing a back three in the World Cup. And I think he, I think he's, he made his mind up on that long ago. Well, that's what he played, as I say, um, against Italy and against Germany. Germany, there was just the, the two changes. Uh, in came Luke Shaw, in came John Stones. Uh, obviously, Germany took the lead, 2-0 up. And to me, that was then, oh dear, this, this, could go, this could go very wrong. This could go downhill very quickly. Whilst people are, are talking about the defensive issues that England have got, the one thing Gareth Southgate did get right yesterday was to make the changes when needed in the fact that he brought on both Mason Mount and Pakaya Saka, um, who pretty much changed that second half around in our favour. They did. It's interesting, really. Um, we talk, we talk, we always talk, don't we? Yeah. about about England. Everyone does. Um, and especially when a, a squad and, a, and an international break is coming up. We talk about the players in form and we often talk about the players who are more seasoned England players who are out of form or out of the team sometimes. But this has been an international break to show you that actually being in the... T- you know, it's not gone brilliantly for Southgate. He's lost and he's won- and he's drawn. Yeah. They, they haven't won in a, a single Nations League game this 
this campaign. But the positive he can take from it is that a number of England's best performers have been players who haven't been playing for their clubs at all or haven't been playing very well. Luke Shaw has been benched by Manchester United. He was one of England's best performers against Germany. Mason Mount came off the bench without an England goal in, in, in 15 games and without a Chelsea goal in a while as well. I have to be honest, when Mason Mount came on, my heart dropped simply on that on that basis of that his Chelsea Very, history and, and his recent England performances. Yeah, he's been in poor form, hasn't he? Yeah. But that just shows, you know, form is indicative of how a player will play. But at the end of the day, quality is also indicative. And it's not like form is the only thing that matters. You know, if, if we went on what the people in the phone-ins say all the time, the England team would never, ever look the same. No. You, you'd never get a repeated lineup. You'd have no consistency. You wouldn't have experienced England players. Everyone in, in the Premier League who's English would have sort of four or five caps each. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not right. You know, you need a balance. You need to be reactive to form. He's brought Ivan Tony in. Arguably, he should have played him. If he's going to bring him to the, to the World Cup, he should have brought yes. him on two minutes. You know, so, so, so he does bring players that are in form. He brought Fakayo Tomori back into the England team. Let's not talk about how much he played, but he, bring, he brings players back in when they're in form. But you've also got to keep faith with, with good players. Harry Maguire, many people might not feel is a, is a good player. I, I would say, he, you know, we're getting to the point now where he, he's untenable as a selection, uh, at least from the start. Southgate said, I will, ne- I will only stop picking my best players when it becomes untenable. But Southgate feels that he's a good player. And actually that maybe for him comes before form or even how much game time they're playing. Yeah, it's it's certainly coming towards that sort of important decision time with regards to to some of those players. But but one player who is really now starting to uh to pull up roots and pull up trees, um, and something that we've been itching to see for a uh, for a long time. Uh, is Jude Bellingham. And I think whilst he was a, a little bit quiet against Italy, against Germany, he, he really began to show his class, didn't he? Yeah, I, I thought he was very good against Italy and excellent against Germany. And I would I would start him. I've been, I think I've we've been got to him. now, haven't we? Yeah, I, I think we are, you know, sometimes you, you go through an international break and there's been someone who's injured or there's been someone who's not been picked and you kind of forget about them. Um, and when and when they when all the the newspapers do their like dream teams afterwards. They're only picking players who were there in this international break, and they forget everyone out there. But even when Phillips comes back from injury, uh, from obviously he's having surgery on his shoulder at the moment. Yeah. Um, once Jordan Henderson is back fit, I'd still play that midfield too. It's all action. It's it's completely hard working. It covers every blade of grass. Rice and Bellingham between between them, um, but it also. What you get with Bellingham is a perfectly balanced midfielder. He can get himself involved with the dirty work, and he's a he's a very accurate tackler. Yep, he can do that as a sliding challenge or as a standing challenge. He can pass well. He's not afraid to pick the short pass if that's better than the than the long pass that gets an applause from the crowd. And also, when he's caught in a you know further up the field, he can be very dangerous. And that's because he's also got the technical ability that so many England midfielders, central midfielders in the past haven't had. You know, a lot of the reason why Spain and Italy and these sort of nations produce you know, are able to dominate England in possession when it gets to the tournaments is because a lot of their most technical players at, at young age groups are not moved straight into the attacking positions. Some of them are kept in midfield and even kept in defence. It's not it's not seen that technical ability, you know, n- nice touches have to be utilised in an attacking sense. Jude Bellingham got out of maybe a, a tough spot of three players at least four times last night with some lo- with a lovely kind of dummy or or you know jinking this way and that. And that isn't a normal thing for an England central midfielder. You know, I I love someone like Gareth Barry but he was never going to do that as an no. England midfielder when he was a player. Um, Jude Bellingham is so well balanced. You, you have to go on someone's quality. You, you you can't go on their age. If he was 16, you couldn't start him because that's too young. But he's not 16, he's 19. If he's good enough, he's old enough. It's also the part of his game that I noticed last night from sitting in, a, uh, in the stands. You could notice him. He's prepared to almost open his mouth and be vocal to his teammates. He's very encouraging or, or he's 
he's showing his teammates around where to go as well. He's he's sort of dictating on the pitch, almost yeah. sort of captain style. He's not he's not brazen and he's not arrogant. No, but he is confident. He has got leadership skills. He speaks so well for someone of his age, and and his you know he speaks so maturely. If you hear him speak, it's like. It's like he's been having media training for 15 years and he's been a seasoned pro for 20. It's actually incredible. He's not even been alive for 20 years. Um, I, um, you know, you don't pick, you don't pick the England team on who gives the the best interview, but, but I put Bellingham in the, uh, in the starting lineup with, with Rice simply for what he does on the pitch. Yeah, no, they are. They're they're turning into be a very good pairing for England. What I'd also say with that as well, if I can just quickly. Yeah. off is that, England will play three four three, and and I would I would play that anyway. But with that, what you lack, and what so many England fans want to see, is a natural number ten. Where's Madison? Why why don't we have him in number ten? Why don't we play Mason Mount from the start? Why don't we drop Foden in? Why don't we drop Grealish in? People want a creative central player. Well, I would say with that balanced midfield too, Rice and Bellingham. I would say Bellingham could play as a defensive midfielder or as an outright box-to-box central midfielder, or as a number 10. Rice could play as a as a defensive midfielder, yeah. as, an, as a box-to-box number eight, and you're pushing it a bit, but I, but he could do a job in an, as a number 10. They're really versatile midfielders. So I think, think with those two, you don't really lack a, the, the creativity that you would if you went with a Phillips and a Rice, which I think is much more defensive. I think... What you're saying, maybe if, if Grealish wasn't there, I mean, Grealish brings that sort of excitement, uh, that little more excitement um, yeah. that that fans want to to see. That that gets them off the seats. Um, Grealish, whilst... Grealish is an interesting one because he's actually had a he's only scored once for England, and it was against Andorra. But but he's been a really good England player. And Phil Foden, who's who's a much better player, I think outright, it's fair to say hasn't had as good an England career. It's often interesting that how much formations or or sometimes even luck comes into it. I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold, we've talked about so many times. He's not had a brilliant England career, no. um, but he's a brilliant player and he's had a brilliant Liverpool career. Phil Foden's in exactly the same camp. He scored in one single game for England. He scored twice um, early on in his career against, against Iceland um, in November 2020. He's not scored since. He never plays particularly badly for England because he's too good, but he never plays particularly well either. Um, Grealish, on the other hand, plays some of his best football for England. And and that matters. How how well you play for your club is important, but how well you play for England, it is more important. Yeah, no, because that's that's what we want to see. We want to see that that excitement um, because that's... That's what's what gets people off their seats and and off their sofa seats and wherever they're watching the games. But I, I want to just touch on maybe you, you maybe know Gareth's thoughts more than more than I do. But the likes of Ivan Tony, James Ward Prowse, Kaya Tamori been selected in this squad, most recent squad over these two games, which we're looking forwards towards the World Cup as well. Yet. None of them featured at all. I I don't understand why Ivan Tony didn't get at least a half hour, twenty five minute run out against Germany. I mean, perhaps the way the game was going is probably the answer to that. But it just seems such a shame that they've missed out on this opportunity after being given such the build up to him being selected in the squad. Yeah, I also would like to see Tony make a. Um a cameo appearance in one of the games. And I would have also liked to see England play a, um, a back four just to try it out in one of the games, maybe in Italy. Maybe maybe Tamori could have started in centre-back, playing against so many players who fear him every week when he plays for AC Milan. But yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't to be. To be fair, Southgate did say uh, in his press conference after the Germany game uh, that he wasn't going to hand out loads of new caps. He didn't feel that he and Steve Holland didn't feel that this was the time to experiment. And I do understand that. Um, and one thing we've learned about Gareth Southgate is that, you know, a lot of people might not think that he's macho or that he's particular, you know, he's he's much of an of an art, art man, I guess. But mm. but I think he does 
you know, he has strength of his convictions. You've got to give him that. Whether you agree with his convictions or another matter, but there have been international breaks in the past where you feel another goalkeeper is really pushing to play under Pickford for one of the games, if it's a three-game international break, and he's just gone with Pickford the whole time. He's called players in, like Tony this time, for the first time and not give them, given them their debuts. It's very much up to him, and, and, and he will decide. I mean, what's Ben Chilwell been doing? He's been doing exactly the same this week as he does for Chelsea. It turns up, I'm sure, trains very well. I, th- I think Ben Chilwell's the best left wing back in the country. I, I, I like Luke Shaw, but I think Ben Chilwell's better. They didn't even get a look in. At the end of the day, you know, so I think Southgate probably finds this isn't quite the time to be giving debuts out. And, and maybe it's been it, it's time to learn more from the games than about individual players like Ivan Tony. And frankly, he knows about him already. I would have given him a game, but I understand why he didn't. Fair enough. Well, you mentioned goalkeepers. We've got to touch on on that briefly. Obviously, uh, Nick Pope, Newcastle's Nick Pope, played both games, Italy and Germany. Um, I don't, I don't think there was a great deal he could have done about the Italian goal. But obviously, the the Germany game, it, well, Pickford's obviously not in because he's injured. Um, so come come the World Cup, touch wood, if he, he's fit and ready to go, he will be number one. Uh, but with Pope. There was a couple of instances in the first half where his kicking was just wasn't up to international standard. I thought, um, and then obviously we can pick apart the uh, the, the third equalising goal for Germany. Um, but he's likely to go to the World Cup. But is he a number two or is he a number three now? Well, it, it probably three, maybe even four, if. Uh... Dean Henderson can continue his, his good form with Nottingham Forest. It's funny about, about Nick Pope, really. I, I was on TalkSport a few, a few weeks ago and I said that Nick Pope won't ever push to be England's number one um, and might not even push again to be England's number two because his kicking is some of the worst in among any goalkeeper who starts in Europe's top five leagues. And and instantly there was a, there was a caller, you know, there was someone who texted in a Newcastle fan and said mm-hmm. he's, been, he's been the best goalkeeper in the Premier League all season. You know, what's this guy on about? But I hadn't mentioned his goalkeeping. I was on about his kicking. And, and and if there's one thing we know about Gareth Southgate, it's that he's going to pick his goalkeepers on who's a positive, able kicker. And, and Nick Pope, for his usually capable shot stopping, it wasn't necessarily shown the other night, is a terrible kicker. You know, he's, he's a brilliant goalkeeper. England's best natural shot stopper, I would say. But his kicking is lacking. It's lacking in accuracy. It's lacking in confidence. And I mean, Jamal Musiala blocked one of his clearances. He got tackled. You don't need to invite pressure like that. No, no, not at all. Well, it's obviously safe to say Pickford will be will be the number one. But do we think we know, based on these last two games, what that starting lineup will be against Iran come the World Cup? I think we can have a fair crack at it. I think it will be Pickford, obviously. Pickford will start in goal. It'll be Walker, Stones and Maguire. That's the back three that's got him through two tournaments. There is lucky generals, I suppose. Right. Uh, Reese James, I think it's fair to say, will start a right wing back. And I think Shaw will be given um, the position on the left. You don't think, think Chilwell will make it through? No, I don't think Southgate fancies him since um, since Luke Shaw did what he did in the Euros. Right. I mean, Luke Shaw had such a good season for Manchester United ahead of the Euros. Um, and that's what got him into that starting lineup just over Ben Chilwell for the yeah. Euros. He was then outstanding. And I don't think he's willing to lose faith in Southgate. Um, I think he will play Rice and Bellingham. I'm not, it, it doesn't seem very Southgatey for him to trust someone who's 19 to start, but I think he will. I, I don't think he trusts Jordan Henderson from the start anymore. You know, Pep Guardiola talks about starters and finishers, and I think that's a nice way to think about substitutes. I, I could see Henderson being a finisher, maybe not a starter. Well, this Phillips, is a team game now, isn't it? It is a yeah, yeah. Um, Phillips, I don't think he'll start, but 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 maybe. You know, Phillips is going to be very tight. Whether he can a come back in time and b get back to match fitness in time. If he can, I could see Southgate bottling it and playing. Phillips with with Rice, but I wouldn't want to see that. I think Bellingham's too. I think Bellingham's just too good. Yeah. And then a front three of I think he'll keep faith with. Well, clearly he'll play Kane and Sterling, but I think he will keep faith with Foden um, because he's an outright better player than Bukayo Saka 
um, Mason Mount uh, and Jack Grealish are, although all three of those have had slightly uh, slightly better fortunes in an England shirt than Foden. But quality shows out in the end, and I think he, I think he likes Foden, and and he's kind of desperate for him to really turn it on for England. And I, and just as he started him in the early games of the of the Euros, I think he'll start him at the World Cup. But but that's maybe the the position in which I'm least sure. Yeah. Well, we shall see what what you said there. Pickford, Walker, Stones, Maguire, Rhys James, Luke Shaw, Rice, Bellingham. Foden, Kane, Sterling. Um, I think I, I don't know. Just based on on what I've seen over these last two games of Dyer, that perhaps he he's done enough to get get himself in. Um, well, I, I think he has done enough to deserve to get in. But you know, we're, how? Talking, about, we're talking about what will happen. I'm not exactly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Rice and Bellingham. Yes, yeah, I agree with. But it, it may be a case of of how Phillips comes along. Um, I, I understand that one. Um, Foden, Kane, Sterling. Yeah, it's all like it is the old guard, um, really. Uh, you say the yeah. ones that have got him through the tournaments, through the qualifications, and as we know, they are. He is loyal to those players that have that have done a job for him. It's um, a worry that because um, you know some of the some of the best managers in international football history that, that, that they kind of continued to play the players that, that won them something early on for sort of too long. Joachim Löw did that with um, a certain generation of the Germany players. And they, by the end, they, they just weren't as the national team of Germany just wasn't as good as it should have been because, because he wasn't able to revitalise and, uh, you know, the team and refresh it as, as much as he should. I think Southgate is in danger of that, really. Well, the time to do that, I think, would obviously be come the, the Euro qualifications in the new year. Whether that will be Gareth Southgate's choice to who, who he picks will, will remain to be seen. But I think that's that's clearly a conversation for another time. Dom, thank you very much, as always, for, for joining us. Always great to uh, to get your input on the, uh, on the show and, and always welcome along. Thanks very much for having me again. Well, many thanks to Dom Smith there for his time. You can find Dom on Twitter at Mr. Dom Smith. Uh, and you can also find his reports at englandfootball.org. Next game that England play will be against Iran in the World Cup. We'll be building up to that very soon. Once again, thank you very much for listening. Appreciate you coming along for the ride. I hope you've enjoyed it. Feel free to to stay up to date on all the social media channels, Twitter, Facebook, just search Three Lions Podcast. You will find it there. So until the next time, take care of yourselves. Cheers. <laughs>